Well, welcome again, folks. So we're going to come to God's Word, the Bible now, and see what it has to say to us, written thousands of years ago by many, many writers, but a coherency to it that is astounding and a power that is just unrivaled in the world today. But before we do that, uh, I just want to think about movies. I quite like movies. And uh, don't you love that point in the movie, that turning point, where the hero decides they are going to take vengeance. They're going to they're gonna defeat uh, that overwhelming evil in the movie. They're going to ride out. They're going to vanquish those that have opposed them. And they're going to stand up for the powerless in this movie. That bit in Braveheart where William Wallace steps forward to uh, rid Scotland of those wicked English and uh, he stands up and avenges his wife's death and and then he rides out for freedom. And uh, what about Katniss Everdeen in The Hunger Games when she enters the games on behalf of her sister and and, uh, defends her and then later on leads the rebellion against President Snow? Or Heroes come in all shapes and sizes. What about Frodo in Lord of the Rings? When he steps forward and he says, I will carry the ring, even though he knows you do not simply walk into Mordor, as everyone knows. Well, we're looking at the turning of the tide. We just have this prophetic sense that in this season, this very, very unusual season, God is doing work under the surface, behind the scenes to turn the tide for good in our lives individually and I believe in the nation on behalf of his church. And we see this time and again in the book of Isaiah that we're following and going to look at today. There are repeated references to the fact that God will turn the tide on behalf of his people. And in Isaiah, you may remember we said that prophecy in uh, scripture has different perspectives. A a word may be given and the people at the time thought it was for them, but actually it turns out it's for 100, 200 years later, or maybe it's for the end of time. And, And it's never quite sure who it's being spoken to. But we have different scenarios there of God turning the tide. The people of Israel in Isaiah's turn needed him to turn the tide against the wicked power that was Assyria. He foretells in Isaiah of a time of exile when Israel will be taken into Babylon and that tide needed to be turned. There is a promise of return from exile and Babylon herself will be overthrown. And then there is the promise of the coming Messiah who will bring a just society. And we know that came to pass in the life of Christ hundreds of years after Isaiah. And we're in Isaiah 59. And we see there the Messiah, who we know to be Jesus, coming as the anointed conqueror, bringing deliverance for Israel. You see, Isaiah, we saw uh, last time, has said that Israel is powerless In Isaiah 59 verse 2, it says, Isaiah says to Israel, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So 
Israel is separated as individuals from God because of their sin. And because of that, there are systemic issues in their society. Injustice is rife. Hardness of heart. The poor suffer because Israel has been separated from their God. Well, I wonder if some of that resonates with you this morning. Are you facing a situation that needs reversing? Maybe you're suffering injustice and you're longing for God to work on your behalf to vindicate. Maybe you feel totally powerless in a situation. Or perhaps you look at systemic issues in society that we're seeing in the news at this time. Issues of poverty, injustice, and you are crying out for change. Well, who'd have thought... It would be Bonnie Tyler that would know the solution for this. This is Bonnie Tyler, for those that don't know, this obscure cultural reference that we're following now. Bonnie was an 80s singer. That's how all the ladies used to do their hair in the 80s children. And uh, she knew what we needed. She sang, where have all the good ones gone? Gender neutral. And where are all the gods? What's, where's the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising odds? Isn't there a white knight upon a fiery steed? Late at night, I toss and I turn and I dream of what I need. Sing it. I need a hero. Actually, there are people that toss and turn. I was talking to someone the other day at the state of society. We should grieve some elements of culture. We need to be streetwise, brother, sister. The gospel has to impact society where Men and women, young people are at, doesn't it? So thanks for that, Bonnie. Well, there's good news in Isaiah. He promises that God is going to turn the tide. Well, how will he do this? A few thoughts for us this morning. Firstly, we may have to wait. There was a wait for Israel. Isaiah knew that surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save nor his ear too dull to hear. That arm of the Lord reference is speaking of the strength of God. He knew God had the strength to act on Israel's behalf in the face of difficulties, but it hadn't happened yet. There was a wait. I think this is an ongoing experience for us as believers, isn't it? Or is it just me? Waiting for God to move. That's a good thing, folks. Why is that? Well, it says that there is an expectation to our lives. When we're waiting for God, at least there is an expectation. Life isn't just survival. It's not just routine. We believe as Christians, God has plans for us. Some of our struggles as Christians is the fact we haven't seen God yet do what he said he would do in his word, or we hope he will do. And that's a good thing ultimately, because it means we're living with hope. We're not hopeless people. And of course, prophetic promises here are key. Someone has said about prophetic people, all they do is go around building up people's hopes. Exactly. Exactly. The prophetic is given to encourage us. 
And I want to encourage us. If God has said something to us over the years, maybe it's a time to get those prophetic promises off of the shelf, dust them down and believe them again. We are to be hope filled people. And the prophetic voice, I don't just mean words of prophecy, I mean scripture. Scripture is full of words that speak into our situations. Let's hang on to those words. God has plans. And so in the book of Isaiah, the people are waiting to see Assyria defeated. Later, they would wait to see Babylon defeated. They're going to have to wait before the Messiah comes. And so there is such longing in Israel's heart. Isaiah puts it like this in Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. A preacher called Martin Lloyd-Jones preached one time on the O of God. That groan in us where there's such longing to see God move. That you would rend the heavens and come down. Well, is that us? Is that us waiting? Well, scripture tells us all his promises are yes and amen. And I've got a word for you this morning. If that's you waiting, hang in there and don't forget you're awesome. Hang in there. Because secondly, we're going to see God always goes to work on the back of what he's promised. He always goes to work. There's good news in Isaiah 64 where Isaiah has just prayed that God would rend the heavens. Isaiah 64 verse 4 says this. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. I remember God speaking to me very powerfully. I can remember where it was. It was in a transit airport between Canada and the UK. There was a situation here in the UK I wanted out of. I wanted a change of job. And there was a possibility of us going to Canada. Um, Alison, my wife, usually ahead of the curve, uh, sussed that that door wasn't opening. But I hung on to it. I wanted that door to open, but it didn't. And on the way back in the airport, I read these verses and I realised God was going to open a door. I just needed to wait. And again, in Isaiah 59, we see God going to work. It says, the Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. God went to work on behalf of the powerless in Israel. And so historically what we see happen is Assyria was resisted by King Hezekiah. God went to work. The exiles would return. They would be delivered from the powerful nation of Babylon. God was going to work. And finally, Jesus, the Messiah, did come and do all that scripture had promised. God went to work. And God will deliver. We may need 
to trust his plans. And certainly Israel struggled with this at times. You know that verse we all quote, Jeremiah 29, 11. When somebody's in a difficult situation, we say it to them and, and chances are they probably want to um, push us away because it can be difficult to receive. But it says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Well, those words were actually proclaimed, had to be proclaimed because there was a people struggling to believe God's plans. Jeremiah, the prophet, had said to Israel, you're going to go into exile. And Israel said, no, 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 that's not going to happen to us. There's peace all around us. Peace, peace. But there wasn't peace. And Israel did go into exile. Jeremiah, though, had had said this would happen and promised that despite that, God's plans for Israel were for a hope and for a future. Have you noticed how God's plans are not always our plans. This is William Cooper. William Cooper was an 18th century poet and hymn writer, but he suffered from insanity, or at least he was put in an asylum after three suicide attempts for insanity. He came out and met a group of Christians, and among them, I believe, was William Wilberforce, certainly John Newton, the hymn writer, And they loved him and he came to faith. And out of that, he wrote a hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. These are the second and third verses of that song. God's plans are not always our plans. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints. Let me ask you this morning, are you fearful? Well, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. God moves in a mysterious way. Well, how do we see him work? How do we see him move in Isaiah 59? Well, finally... He goes to war. Alec Matea, commentator, said that Isaiah 56 through 66 is the book of the anointed conqueror riding out to wage war against his enemies. And we see this in Isaiah 59. God looks, decides he's got to act. And then it says he puts on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so will he repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. God's not messing about here, is he? He's not getting dressed for a party. Do you know, I think, I wonder whether we come to church and kind of just live our Christian lives metaphorically in our Sunday best. I wonder whether we shouldn't come dressed in combat fatigues like the Messiah in Isaiah 59 here. He's putting on his armour. He's even got a superhero cloak. He's wrapping himself in passion. It says he wraps himself in zeal. You see, passion 
overcomes inertia. I hope, brother, sister, as a Christian, you're passionate about something. I hope at least there's something you're passionate about. If not, go to God. Ask him to stoke the fire. We should not be passionless Christians. And finally, he's angry. It says he will pour out his wrath on his enemies. It's okay to get angry about what God gets angry about. In fact, I remember somebody saying to me that some of the people God has most used have been angry. William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, was angry at the plight of young boys, men, women in the streets of London in the uh, 19th century. And supremely, God went to war on the cross in Christ and he defeated his enemies there. We've seen in Isaiah 53, the Messiah as the suffering servant dealing with the enemy of sin. Isaiah 53 says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Let me ask you, do you understand that on the cross Christ took the punishment for your wrongdoing? He took your guilt and shame to open up a way to the Father, a way for you to enjoy relationship with Christ and with his Father. Have you seen that? Have you understood that? And so Christ on the cross broke the power of sin in our lives. We need need no longer be captive to harmful habits, harmful, wrong attitudes that just keep undermining us, trying to be the best version of ourselves that we want to be. Christ broke that power and he defeated Satan and his henchmen as well. I'll never tire of reading this verse, Colossians 2. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, Satan, the demonic, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The picture is of a conquering emperor leading his enemies, often stripped bare in procession behind him. Satan has been stripped bare by Christ on the cross and he is powerless to harm you. And so James tells us, well, in that case, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Does it feel like you're facing oppression? Forces are just coming against you. Well, resist. Just stand, says Paul in Ephesians 6. Resist and the enemy will flee. You will see victory, I promise you. And because of that, we're able to bring down wicked strongholds in society in God's power. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We can demolish strongholds in society like poverty, slavery, even today, prejudice, racism, materialism, secularism, all of these strongholds, God desires 
to wage war against and would use us to do so. Well, next week, we're going to look at how God, waging war, going to work, restores. But it may have occurred to you as you've been listening to this, you may not want to get in God's way if he's in this mood. If he's riding out to deal with his enemies, you may not want to get in his way. This is one of our seniors on their way to the bingo. Well, how do we ensure we're with God? Specifically, how do we connect with his work on the cross? Again, Isaiah 59, 20 tells us. It says, the Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. That word repentance, it means a change of mind. We line up with God's perspective on us and on the world. We acknowledge what he says about our sin, about our wrongdoing, that before him we're guilty. We accept his word. We, we receive what he says about Christ dying for us on the cross. And we submit to his will for our lives. I promise you, if you will do that, God will come to you, it says. You'll know him. You'll enjoy his wonderful presence in your life, his peace, his joy. And you'll see him going into battle on your behalf. Don't you do it. Submit to him and see the anointed conqueror ride out on your behalf. As we come to finish this morning, I just want to pray for us. And it just occurred to me, you may want to just do a little exercise. Is there something in your life, a situation that you're holding on to? You've got a tight grip on it. You think you need to sort it. You're anxious. You want to see this situation transformed, but, but you feel you've got to do it. Well, I believe the Lord would come and he would ask you to repent of that, not to trust your own strength. He'd say to you, why don't you release your grip? Let me have it. Let, your, let go of that. Give it to me. Is there something that comes to mind? Maybe you want to put your hands out in front of you. Just offer that situation to God. And then ask him. Say, Lord, will you ride out on my behalf? Will you be the God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him? Would you go to work for me? Maybe even would you go to war and defeat the enemies I'm facing? Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters, young people watching this. And I pray, Lord, as they give you situations, would you be the God who transforms? Would you be the God who makes a way, who never stops working? We commit ourselves to you as a people at this time, in the midst of these unprecedented circumstances. And we ask you, Lord, would you go to work? 
Would you be working behind the scenes? Would you ride out against your enemies? Would you transform? And Lord, I pray, help us to wait and be patient to see you do this. That we might give you all the glory. In Jesus' name.